0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This Wednesday on the site, we are releasing our 2020 NFL Draft Guide, where you can find all things draft-related leading up to the first round on April 23rd, including scouting reports on each prospect by Danny Kelly and much more. We'll be updating it regularly with new analysis that takes all the latest developments into account. You can check that out on Wednesday on TheRinger.com. Basketball is very good. The Rockets are actually fun to watch. Zach Levine should play less defense. What if the Sixers have too much shooting? Basketball is very good.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier. And joining me in the studio, we didn't trade him for Joel Embiid last week it's chris ryan what's up buddy (laughs) the redacted texts i've gotten from philadelphia fans about your your heel turn are pretty vivid yeah don't get me started because i could do like a 10 minute rant on on technology and millennial culture these days so i don't know if we want to do that right off the top uh but we'll get to it eventually i promise uh also joining us jonathan charks what's up buddy
0: well, we had three more MB trades to talk about, but Chris is here now, so we'll hold us off for
1: another week. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No, we we're gonna do a special emergency pod just to, <laughs> to get more MB trades
2: out there. Uh Isaac is also here. Uh he's Did just... you guys see that it's like a it's like a virus like Bill and Russo and House were talking about it yesterday? Yeah, because it makes sense. <laughs> okay. Ben Simmons and Joel M B should not play together. <laughs> We're just ahead of the
1: curve. Relax, Bernie Sanders. All right, we'll get to that eventually. We'll get to Zion Williamson's return uh, to the court tonight, Wednesday. Uh, We're also going to talk about some deadline stuff. But first, let's talk about last night, which is Tuesday. There was only one game last night, which was bizarre, I guess because everybody else played on MLK MLK Day. But the Clippers and the Mavs played. Both teams are pretty interesting these days. The Clippers ended up winning that one 110-107. But I want to talk about both teams more in the broad sense here. The Clippers seem to be, I don't know how you would describe it, but there's something going on there. And I guess my first question, let's just actually take this more in the broad sense. Do the Clippers, like, do
2: they have a problem? Nope. No. Work in progress team for a work in progress season. They are like the perfect symbol for this NBA season. It's like chaotic, a lot of new faces, a lot of figuring it out. But ultimately, last five minutes, they have the best player in the world.
1: Yeah, and we actually talked about this. I don't know if we did a rational conversation about this. We definitely talked about this going into preseason, just about how they almost represent the season as a whole, where they're just like, they're a very good basketball team, but I'm not sure if they're very interesting. Uh, And I think that's probably working against them a little bit because they just don't have... Uh,
2: The star power or the drama, really, that like we kind of gravitate toward. Yeah, I mean, in a a season where the, the Lakers have taken on so much of the spotlight and have gotten along so well right out of the gate and routinely just win every game that they're supposed to win. Really, the only kind of challenge that they have faced this year was that Christmas game against the Clippers. That was the one time where I felt like they took a punch and didn't get up. Mm hmm. Uh, the Clippers are kind of just like in cruise control and they're just like kind of coasting along and figuring it out and they only, only played like 18 games with Leonard and George on the floor together. Yet, when you watch them, when it seems like it's like, okay, chips are down time, I just I just trust them more than any other team, even though I don't think they're even like particularly trying that hard.
1: Yeah, Brian Windhorst wrote a good piece on ESPN the other day where he kind of insinuated that the issues aren't necessarily major issues, capital M, capital I, They're more just day-to-day inconveniences, right? This is what happens when uh, you trade in the fun-loving team from last season, the scrappy AC that really didn't play with expectations for a team that is a Kawhi team. You have the load management, you have the lack of chemistry that goes on, and you are prioritizing the long view rather than the regular season. That's literally what we're saying play out, and we were at a time saying that that was why we kind of favored them over the Lakers going into the season. Things have changed a little bit now. Lakers have been gangbusters, and uh, LeBron and AD are, are just BFFs, and everything's going well. And so I agree with that. But, but Charks, you wrote for The Ringer the other day about perhaps an issue that might be underneath all of this. Do you want to tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so I was looking at their center position. So I think what makes them so interesting from like a big-picture perspective is that they're really playing a lot of minutes with Montrez Harrell at the five. So, Montrez is probably like six, 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 seven. He'd be one of the smaller centers in the league, and he doesn't actually start games for them. They have a more traditional center in Avika Zubac. And, but usually, Montrez will close most games. He plays like 30 minutes a night. He's one of the best bench players in the league. And he's kind of this like weird six, seven offensive dynamo who's just incredible in the pick and roll. And who's like quietly become one of the most effective scoring fives in the league. I think he's at like 18 points on like 57% shooting. So this is a guy who's scoring a will consistently. And the question is, how will he hold up on defense in the playoffs? I think, yeah, as you said, Justin, the regular season for the Clippers doesn't really matter. It's more about these matchups later on the road. And how will a guy like Montrez fare against your Anthony
2: Davis's and your are of the world. How far down the ladder do you go with the question about Montrez? Like, beyond Davis, are you concerned about them versus, like, a Capella? Well, see, it's interesting. I think with defense at the five, like, there's
0: so many different things you have to do. So, if you're talking about the Rockets, it's not defense against Capella. It's if Montrez is guarding Capella, then they're going to put him in a pick-and-roll with James Harden, and he has to guard James Harden. So, like, in every series, it's a different matchup. So, if you play, like, The Rockets, it's pick and roll. If it's the Nuggets, it's Nikola Jokic, you know, in the middle of the paint. And if it's the Lakers, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James in the pick and roll. So you have to do so many different things on defense.
2: Just as a quick digression, what do you guys think about James Harden's uh, new arrival as an effort merchant? Staying after games, shooting, getting jumpers up. <laughs> oh, I missed this. Yeah, after, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. after the Thunder City, right? game, he uh-huh. stayed
2: afterwards and just got up three <sighs> corner threes. The Kobe? Yeah, just rebuilding the shot, getting right. back to basics, right. getting back to the foundation. Because he definitely couldn't have gone
1: to a secluded gym in order to do this. He definitely had to go back onto the court in front of millions of people. Look, his
2: work ethic is legendary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is true.
2: <laughs> but I guess getting
1: back to the Clippers here. Yeah, Charks, I think you raise a good point. I guess my my question is, aren't those issues that pretty much every team is going to face? Like who among us is able to really guard James Harden coming off as of pick and roll? Uh-huh. And I also wonder just like the way teams are constructed now with big twos rather than big threes or what we saw with the Warriors where they have a pretty much a hall of famer at every position. I wonder if like those sorts of issues in air quotes are going to be easier to paper over because there just aren't so many teams that are just bulletproof. Am I wrong there?
0: Well, I mean, against most of the league, sure, but you're talking about for the Clippers, really two teams, Mm -hmm. like Lakers and Bucks, and those teams are designed to attack that specific spot in the lineup.
1: Yes, and I think that's a good point, because I also look at the landscape, and it seems like the Clippers, we all kind of jump to them as the favorites going into the season because they looked so much like, or they could look so much like the Warriors in their best like when they were at their best, they have these wing players uh, and that, as we've seen, are the ones that dictate the titles and they can go small, Harold and, and Lou. And they had all the pieces that looked like the title winners that we've had most recently. But as I look around, it does feel like the queen on the chessboard now is like the two biggest, most
2: talented guys in the league. And that's Anthony Davis and Giannis. no. I don't know. There's part of me that just feels like we haven't really seen the real Clippers yet. And so it's hard to judge them. In some ways, like, it kind of fits with the narrative going into this season where, with all respect due to the Clippers fan in this studio, it just felt like they were, like, not a mercenary team, but at least, like, a super team without any kind of narrative. Like, when LeBron left Cleveland, went to Miami, and when he left Miami to go back to Cleveland, and then he left Cleveland to go to Los Angeles, there was some, some sort of, like, super story going on with each of those moves With Kawhi, it was just like never really stated why he did this, nor was it really explained how Paul George orchestrated his way out of Oklahoma City to get there. And it just feels like this is happening in some alternate reality where these decisions are getting made. And I don't think anybody knows how to feel about the Clippers, which is why we haven't really been able to wrap our minds around them. But at the same time, I just felt like watching the last four minutes of that Mavericks game last night, I was like. They just can't stop Kawhi. You talk about the Warriors? Yeah, he Warriors? just took over. Yeah, like he, oh is, he is Clay and Durant at the same time. You know, I mean, whatever you're talking about with the Warriors, like he, he got on Doncic. He just found every spot he wanted on the floor and got buckets. It was 11 points in the fourth quarter, I think he had. And this is like, I thought it was really interesting. The team started one for 10 from the floor. Kind of like felt their way around in the dark the entire game. And then at the end of the game, I was like kind of almost like, Knowing he was going to take over. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, it, it did
1: play out almost like in metaphor for their entire season, where that has kind of been the, the entire game was kind of how they've been the season, kind of just getting by and they have talent and they'll rely on it. Per, perhaps and not the, the fun most stuff organized. Is when it's
2: like Jerome yes. Robinson, Lou Will, Montrez, and they're screaming at each other. And they're like, every time a three goes down, the bench explodes. And then you are like, oh, okay, here comes the varsity team. And it's not exactly like awe inspiring, but we've seen this movie now in two other cities. It's the mm-hmm. third time we've seen Kawhi do this.
1: Yes.
0: I got some numbers for you guys. So, in the last six games since Kawhi uh, came off a rest game, he's averaging 36 points on 53% shooting. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, yeah, and only, and only 34 minutes, so he's showing more than a point a minute.
1: Yeah, I have two thoughts there. I think this team looks like a Kawhi team. It functions yes. like a Kawhi team. It yes. reminds me most of the Raptors last season, and now that's a c- pretty. like but they're not clear heartwarming parallel. the way they the Raptors were. Where are they? <sighs> Perhaps that was just like our proximity to like Danny Chow,
2: in that we thought that that was the case. <laughs> yeah, I, and maybe and maybe maybe guys like Marcus Saul had like had that kind of like huge teddy bear kind of like we really are pulling for him here. You know, like mm-hmm. and there was something just sort of so unlikely about Kawhi being there that I think it was in a weird way it had a Cinderella feel.
1: Yeah, and just like yeah, the fact that he was only there for the one season and almost felt like there was, uh, there was just an added tension there where they had to really take advantage of their window. I guess last season as the Raptors were going about like just winning games and, and just like losing Kawhi every so often and also having injuries to other guys, I just didn't know what to really make of them. It's just there was a... I personally felt almost like a little cold for them because this was pre-Kawhi like clearly establishing himself as like the world beater, the, the best player in the league sort of guy. And so it really was tough to really make sense of them. But when it came to the playoffs, everything came together. And so I do wonder, I'm seeing that again. And I do wonder if there is an issue, perhaps it's what you were speaking to before, where it's like, it's more of a marketing issue. We don't really know... What to make of this team, or we haven't been told what to make of this team. Yeah, I think you can. They're
2: just more silent basketball players who are going about their business. You could take Kawhi out of San Antonio, but you can't take the San Antonio out of (laughs) Kawhi. Right, and it's like this is just like he is not going to give us. He basically reminds me when I watch him. When I watch him in the fourth quarter, I'm like, this is like what it was like watching Jordan growing up, where you're just like, I have no doubt that he is going to make this happen, but it is completely stripped of any kind of mythos around it. Mm -hmm. It's all just like, (laughs) instead of like flu game, we get load management. And I don't mean that as like, he's soft. I just mean like, he has solved basketball. He is like, I need, I know exactly when I need to take off. He doesn't even walk. Like when you see him walk, we're about to talk about Zion later. We'll probably be talking about like, his reprogrammed gait. When you watch Kawhi like, come up off the bench to check in, you're like, that does not look like a guy who's about to score 11 points in the fourth quarter. (sighs) Right. Looks like a guy who just got out of his like, lazy boy after seven hours of watching the Masters, you know, it's, it's really funny. And then he just gets on the court and guys are just like, we cannot guard this dude. We cannot stop him from getting in the lane.
0: There's no wasted motion. And like the funny thing with like comparing to the Lakers is if LeBron Anthony Davis had played 18 games this season, the Lakers would not be in first place. No. Right. So the Clippers are not having their best players and they're still wetting because they're deep. I think that is something we'll see more in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, the Lakers look like a team that is successful. They are having fun. They are winning big. They are at the top of the standings. They have all of the clear signs of a team that is successful in this league. That we What we expect from... A team that is going to be the favorite. The Clippers, on the other hand, have just kind of been somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I I circle back to the marketing thing I was making before. Let's
2: talk. I want to talk about uh, city views
1: over interviews. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes. The Clippers have very much leaned into this idea that they are the anti-Lakers. The Lakers are Tinseltown. They represent Hollywood. They're celebrity, yada, yada, whatever you want to apply to the Lakers. The Clippers are the gritty team. Uh huh. They
2: are from the streets. Well, I just think that the lunch pail kids, right? Like they're supposed to be the they're supposed to be grit and grind compared to Showtime. Yes. Unfortunately, the way it's
1: worked out is that they're just boring. Is that fair? I mean, they play basketball very
2: well. Don't get me wrong. Like they're a very good team. They're very talented. I think there are two Clippers teams. I think that there is the Clippers that is sort of the vestige of last year's team that uh, is still like Lou Will Montrez. Beverly, and a couple other guys. And then there is, and, and they were such a surprise and such a heartwarming story and watching them go through the season with SGA and everything. And then there is the version that is uh, Kawhi, George, and four guys who are 6'9 and can shoot corner threes. Right. And that team feels a little bit more like somebody found a cheat code. And it's not that I don't like cheat code teams. I mean, I, I, I obviously, like, we've, we've basically had cheat code teams for the, the last like ten years, but I thought I find it like maybe if George had been there more, I feel like George plays into it a little bit more, and George like gets involved a little bit more in like the the more emotional side of basketball. At least in in Oklahoma City, he sort of indulged in that a little bit. Um, we we would feel differently about this team. I, Isaac, you're the you're the Clippers fan. Like, do yeah, you, do you like this team? Uh, I know you cheer for them, but do you like them? I like this team, but I don't enjoy watching
1: this this team like you're right in saying they're boring last year's team was so fun to watch every game every home game every road game a game against the hornets a game against the bucks every game was appointment viewing last year but this year it kind of feels like eh, you know like okay they're against the hawks they'll just win and like i don't really feel compelled to watch them maybe it's the inevitability that like Kawhi is going to take over as you said chris but maybe it's just their style of play they're slower They don't, you know, get out and transition as much. A lot of times, it's just give the ball to Kawhi and see what happens. Yeah, they're definitely a more boring team, and the narrative isn't there either. Like, last year was this gritty team that, oh, wow, like, look at this overachieving team. Like, post-Lob City, they're still doing well. And then they trade Tobias, and they play even better. And, like, there's none of that narrative this year.
2: Yeah, they don't even know how to tank.
0: I think with Kawhi, we're all kind of dancing around. It's like the idea of joyless efficiency, right? Just like brutally like efficient basketball it's almost like watching joe johnson <laughs> just mid-range God. jumper mid-range jumper mid-range <laughs> jumper and it's always going in whereas it, comparing to like lebron or Durant or steph there's more flair to that their game even paul george right paul george is a very smooth player mm-hmm. the jump looks really coming out of his hand you know he's, he cuts off the wall he moves really well he dunks on people Kawhi is just pure efficiency and like you know that's Talking about, like, the whole season as a whole, like, that's what the NBA is moving towards, right? It's more efficient basketball. That's Kawhi in one sentence.
1: Yeah, I mean, I circle back to our conversation last week about the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies had or have a clear identity like the Clippers did last year. They were the underdogs that we didn't expect to be there. And everything was found money. Everything was much more fun. The Clippers identity now is that they're really, really good or that they can be really, really good. And while that's the ultimate goal, perhaps the journey along the way just isn't as vibrant. And I don't know. I think I think while ultimately I would still take them probably as the favorites, I don't know. Does that color how just
2: the regular season plays out for them? Well, I mean, yeah, I think we have to look in the mirror a little bit. If we're looking for 20 and 25 teams to save the NBA and to be the reason why we want to tune in, I mean, obviously this has been a huge point of discussion because Adam Silver has backed off his sort of schedule restructuring ideas after this, uh, he was supposed to present them to the Board of Governors and obviously got the message that this was a no, non-starter. Windhorse and Arnovitz and, and Nick Friedl did like a whole podcast about this earlier in the week where they were talking about like the sort of point where the NBA finds itself with the like dip in the local cable networks ratings and people being able to like follow John Moran on Twitter and not have to watch Grizzlies games or just completely ignore the Hornets if you want. I think that like, there is something weird about if we're mostly interested in teams like the Grizz, that doesn't happen in football. We don't follow five and seven football teams unless you are a fan of that team. I would watch the Chiefs. I would watch Deshaun Watson. I watch the Ravens or whatever. And I'm an Eagles fan, but I would watch the good teams when they were on. But when I was watching NFL this season, I wasn't really compelled to watch the Dolphins. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, if they were playing a team that I was interested in, maybe I would. But it's like this weird NBA thing where we're like, ah, the good teams are the good teams. I don't have to watch the Bucks. Bucks are going to win 70 games. You know what I mean? Like, what do, right. what do we want from people here?
1: Right. And I think this is a good time to, to pivot to Zion yeah. returning. Yeah. So Zion Williamson, number one pick, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he's coming back for the first <laughs> time tonight. They are playing the Spurs. They put that game on ESPN, which is a good call because everyone's going to be watching that and not, I believe it was a Rockets game, <laughs> believe it or not. So that's uh, a good move So. He is back. The Pelicans simultaneously are on a bit of a run here. Uh, they're seventeen and twenty-seven. They're three and a half games back of eighth place. Uh, they had a thirteen-game losing streak earlier in the season, but all of a sudden, eleven and five with some pretty big wins recently. And it feels like the entire season has been leading up to this moment. I think we've we've talked in the past about. Who will be the next guy to carry the league, the face of the league, and what will be like, I don't know, who's going to take LeBron's place, basically. And it feels like, just based on how things have played out, that Zion clearly is that guy. Because we're we're talking about now, we've been anticipating him in the way that we would someone of that stature. And so I think it's an interesting discussion to have about just considering all the the ratings tips that have happened and whatnot. Is it good that we're waiting on a guy? Who is playing for a team that is now ten games under five hundred? Is the biggest story in the league being that ultimately good? We're kind of already overlooking the Lakers and some of these other teams.
2: Is that are we in a good place? I guess is the best way to put it. I guess I would say that it, it was only in the last three four weeks that it occurred to me that the league was looking for another Jordan or LeBron. That I I thought going into this season, we would have an embarrassment of riches. We'd have Luka, we'd have Giannis, we'd have the Sixers, we'd have Davis and LeBron together, we'd have the new Clippers, we would have Russ and Harden, you know, all these exciting teams and, and the disbursement of this talent would make it a much more exciting league and a much more competitive league. To some extent, we do have that in terms of the competition, but... I guess we do need a messiah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I think that there is something very intoxicating about this, like, central figure who comes out of college and especially resurrects a team, revives a team in the way that LeBron did in Cleveland, I guess in the way that Jordan did in, in Chicago, and the way we're expecting Zion to in New Orleans. And it becomes a focal point for any NBA fan to watch, you know? And I I guess I thought we would be like, oh, it's going to be fun. Like on League Pass, on any given night, you're going to have a national TV game that's going to have like this incredible matchup. But it really does feel like we're searching for something a little bit bigger than that. What do you think, John? As you were talking about that, my mind went to the Warriors, right? I think that's
0: underplayed in these whole conversations. The Warriors were the league for what, three or four years? They went to five straight finals? Mm Mm-hmm. They were the team everyone was based around for three years. Can you beat the Warriors? Who are the Warriors going to beat? They were the bulls of their time. And they just kind of went away. So there's no natural successor to that for the wrestling to focus on. And I think now like we're talking about like the spot's moving around because it's not on the Warriors anymore. And no one else has taken that spot.
1: Yeah, no, I, we had this conversation in our Slack the other day based on what Ethan Strauss wrote about. Uh, just kind of the league dynamics
2: and... and what the we're league kind of, celebrating, like, chatter around the league instead of the game itself. Yeah, basically that
1: the league has dominated Twitter but not perhaps, like, just viewers on TV, which is, you know, is a pretty big battle that they're going to have going forward, especially if the TV ratings start to dip and people start to cut the cord more. I think the Warriors are a particularly interesting team to bring up in this discussion because one thing Concepcion brought up was almost, like, This wasn't the way the NBA was before. And I think it's a very important point because when I first got into the league, you know, over a decade ago, the NBA fandom was a bit more niche. Like, obviously, it was one of the big three sports, but especially in comparison to football and college football and and some of the other ones, you had to be a little bit more nuanced. It was really kind of the thinking person's sport. Well, Which is what bred a lot of what you see now when everybody talking about like slob plays and really gritty breakdowns, whatever, is because you had to
2: watch, you had to grind out five games on a Tuesday to really They weren't readily available either. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to find them too. I mean, I, for me, I remember growing up and I felt like the NBA was like baseball. Like a lot of my friends were like, I tune into the NBA at the playoffs. And if you had a local team or you had a team you cheered for, you would watch them when you could, if it was available. But for the most part, people were pretty casual fans. And for me, that changed with Iverson. Mm. And Iverson, for as much as he changed the fortunes of the Sixers, also changed the reasons why you watched basketball for me. Like, you watched it because it felt also like he was an articulation of a cultural moment as much as it was that something was happening with a slob player, that he was, mm-hmm. he was getting in the lane more than any player had ever gotten. I mean, whatever your Iverson numbers are. And uh, I think that that's happened a couple of times over the course of the last couple of decades. But you're right the natural state of the NBA is probably the Spurs. Yes.
1: Yeah, no, I think Iverson was an outlier, not only as a basketball player, not only as a talent, but as an entertainment Mm -hmm. player, like as an entertainment product. He was something that would draw your eye away from whatever else you were doing. I think that's particularly resonant now when... You really, I mean, the NBA is not only competing against other sports. It's competing against everything you have at your fingertips, yes. your phone, uh, your friends via text messages, Instagram, all that other your stuff. Your friends
2: via text, not your friends in real
1: life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I personally don't see anyone. I There's only, no difference. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's also true. A lot of my friends are just blog names uh, on my Twitter feed. Uh, but I think the Warriors oh, were that now where Steph Curry doing what he did and, and just jacking threes from like half court was a spectacle in the way that like NBA didn't have before. And you add on top of that, Kevin Durant, this kind of merging of like some of the best talents in the game and the drama that creates not only on the team itself on the Warriors, but against the Cavs as a natural enemy or, or foil, whatever you want to call them. It was really the best in terms of storyline narrative and entertainment product. I feel like now with that, not as, as prominent in our daily discussions, I almost feel like we're reverting back a little bit. And so for a lot of people who perhaps got into the NBA because of Durant, because of the Warriors, because of perhaps LeBron going to South Beach back then, it's shocking. It's startling that they aren't like continuing to rise. And for us, like, I guess crotchety old guys who've been watching this for longer, I'm like, oh, this is the NBA. Like you get a Zion every so often. But more often than not, it's more of a, I don't know, like you get the DeAndre Hunters of the world. These things happen. You don't always line up the next like superstar,
2: just celebrity right away. Yeah, absolutely. And teams are just bad for a very long time, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that there are a couple of franchises over the last couple of years, like the Thunder and the Sixers, who maybe suggested like you could build something out of nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of the teams who have tried to do that in the league are really shitty. You know, and, and aren't getting any better, like the Bulls. And uh, it's tough because you wind up having a lot of attention concentrated around a bunch of teams that are kind of coasting through the season. Yeah, I think that's a great point because even as we're looking at team building as a whole, like the Clippers are the
1: pl- prime example of that. They ended up luring Kawhi because they worked that middle ground more successfully. It's not like we have the teams of the past where you had the Sixers kind of generating this like zealotry like fan base Mm -hmm. based on messaging that they were going to build the next super team. A lot of the more recent success stories it feels like have been teams playing for the middle and then acquiring a star kind of out of nowhere. And so, I don't know. I think that all plays into it. Perhaps we're like aspiring even on the team-to-team level to something a little bit more in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like the, look at the Eastern Conference. There are, you have a lot of teams that are just built to win and do well, but they're not on the level of just like super team warfare. Yeah, this, isn't,
2: this isn't Avengers. But like, the war of attrition is such that like the Pacers have no chance. Like the Pacers will not get to the finals. They might not get even get out of the second round of the playoffs. And they know that. Like, they have to know that. That's not the case for, like, the Pacers can't be the Titans. And that that is, I think, what is sort of driving a lot of the conversation about, like, how do we restructure this, this thing so that more people are more excited about more games?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think looping this back into Zion, I think the one thing that will probably be the most interesting thing going forward is the eighth seed race, which we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like everything else is kind of solidified itself. We kind of know the teams that are going to be in the playoffs at this point. And I do feel like the thing that we're going to be talking about the most is whether or not the Grizzlies or the Pelicans or the Spurs are going like, to s- like kind of
2: sneak into the playoffs. How and- fucking mad are people going to be if the Spurs are the eighth seed playing the Lakers instead of the Grizzlies or the Pelicans? Oh my God. It's going to be <laughs> the worst possible situation.
0: If- they just won't watch. So it'll be. <laughs>
1: Cherex, is there anything you're looking forward to from Zion tonight? I mean, his first game, he's probably not going to play as much as we think. And as a result, probably won't have as many big plays. But you wrote about him a couple of weeks ago. Is there something that we should be keeping an eye on tonight's game?
0: Well, I mean, I think for sure the lineup distribution in terms of how much he plays at the four or at the five as the only big man. But as, to go back to what you're saying about like Steph and shooting threes and kind of like the carnival like atmosphere of the whole thing. That's why everyone wants to see Zion. I mean, watching Zion in college last year was one of the most fun experiences I've seen him bas- watching basketball in a long time. He really is a different kind of guy physically. We saw it in the preseason. And it's to see that kind of athlete in an NBA setting is going to be just fascinating. I mean, when Zion kind of dunked on Gobert and pushed him out of the way as a rookie, that lets you know this is a different kind of guy. And watching him, that's what the NBA is, watching these like 1% athletes
2: compete. And a guy like that is just, guy like that's a place you kind of got to watch him play. I think also it's like uh, we've been talking a little bit about the Clippers and like the sort of sanding down of style in the NBA because of what we we know so much. These teams know so much about what good basketball is and the homogeny of watching teams on a night to night basis where it's just like a lot of looking for open threes and a lot of like high volume offensive possessions and all, all the things that we know are staples of like modern basketball. Zion's one of those guys that when you watch him, you're like, I have no idea what the fuck is going to happen next. Mm-hmm. This guy could take off from the foul line. This guy could back down somebody who's got six inches on him. This guy could find a no-look cutter like down underneath the hoop. Like, I have no idea. And it's not, it's not even like in the Ben Simmons, like, oh, cool pass, man. <laughs> it's like anything on the court could happen right now, and I'm ready for it. And that kind of don't look at your phone, don't look at your text messages, don't talk to your significant other, watch this guy, is something that maybe the league has been missing this year. Yeah, and and the one thing that
1: people have kind of drawn out just from his preseason action, uh, a lot some of the plays that the Pelicans were running in order to get him on the move were ones you would probably see for perhaps like a shooter, mm-hmm. like a JJ Redick type, yeah. where they were literally running a pin down for Zion to come off of a curl. And, and we, have some space to run. Yeah, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And it's
2: just, it's completely different than anything we're seeing out there. Sharks, let me ask you one question because I know that you have several medical degrees.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> How alarmed are you by the idea that they have had to like basically reprogram this guy's running and walking gait?
0: I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, do you remember watching Blake Griffin back in the day? It was the same thing. Okay, yeah, a that guy didn't work that out big, so well like <laughs> Right? He, he had some good years, though. But a guy that big who runs that fast, jumps that high, I mean, you're always going to be concerned. So to me, it was, let's enjoy it while I can because it won't last forever, most likely.
1: Yeah, that's my fear, is that there's so much anticipation for Zion, but we probably won't get peak Zion until maybe late in the season or even next season. Because if they don't win the next couple of games, all of a sudden, they're just not as much in the eighth seed mix, mm-hmm. and the Pelicans have to start asking themselves more seriously, well, do we want to trade some of our other guys, our JJ Reddicks, the Derek Favors, the Drew Holidays? and clearly their future is Zion, and so I, they're not going to rush that side of things, and so they, they are kind of on, quietly, a little bit of a deadline here, which makes it interesting. Let's talk about the deadline, then. Let's do it. Let's um, take a quick break, actually. Work and talk about the deadline and also Dwight Powell who uh, got hurt and we missed him early on. So we'll talk about that. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA Show Group Chat is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook can't legally say the name of the football game coming up. Let's just say it's a big game, a gargantuan game. You might even say the game is superb. But while FanDuel can't legally say the name, you can legally bet on that game as long as you're in Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or West Virginia. And to make the big game even bigger, FanDuel Sportsbook is letting all new users place their first bet risk-free. That means you can place any bet and get up to 500 bucks back in site credit if you don't win. You can use your risk-free bet on any big game bet you want, including spreads, money lines, teasers, and even same-game parlays. And of course, FanDuel's also got a great selection of big game props. Chris... You're going to watch the big game, I aren't you? I am super into the big game. <laughs> yes, as am I. I actually just got into football last week, so this is, this is a good time <laughs> to, to talk about this. Are there any
2: risk-free bets you're, you're really eyeing here? I'm smashing the over on this one. Really? Yeah, I think it's going to be a shootout because I, I think these are just two really electric offenses, and we're going to be in Miami. Everybody's going to be happy to be playing. They're going to lose <laughs> firing on all cylinders, and so I would just take the over. Okay. Okay. I think it's particularly interesting that our very own Isaac Lee sang
1: a Patrick Mahone song, which was based off of the song, which is based off of West Virginia, which is one of the places you can bet at. See the synergy that we're creating here? To claim your risk-free bet, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app from the iOS app store or visit FanDuel.com slash Android and be sure to use the promo code RINGERMBA so they know we sent you. That's promo code R I N G E R MBA to get your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook 21+, plus present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires 14 days after receipt. Terms and restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800GAMBLER.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And now, back to group chat. All right, we're back. It's Chris. It's Sharks. It's Isaac. We're talking Dwight Powell, guys.
2: Don't sell yourself short. Well, you know, people know me.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I'm out on these streets, you know? He's, lay, he's laying low these days. You're not. You're uh, texting.
0: riled up Twitter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely never going on Twitter ever again. I, I've actually made that like promise to myself that I will never engage with Twitter people ever again. Do you ever do that? I did the other day. What did you do? <laughs> so after my uh, brilliant trade idea uh-huh. with Joel Embiid, there are a lot of people who wanted to discuss this with me. Really just, like, well-thought-out arguments that they wanted to sit down and just have a powwow and just have a very, like, rational, polite discourse over. Mm-hmm. I decided to engage because I felt like, you know, some of the points that I was making were perhaps a little bit— uh, Hot? You know, no. <laughs> I was going to say just warped in order to make them seem hotter than they actually were. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I was probably a half hour deep into this conversation that I realized the person I was talking with was a 17-year-old. Like, I got into this conversation expecting, like, people wanting to, like, trade back and forth. be like, Why would
2: you think that?
1: That was the problem. And ultimately, all they want is for you to get mad again. Yes. In order for them to be like, this dude's mad. Yeah. Can you believe this dude is mad? And it's just like, ah, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And on top of that, I said something about Kyle Lowry, and then the Raptors fans wanted to, like, jump in and like say things it was insane it was it's, one of it's just tough being you man <laughs> never go on twitter everyone i will never go on twitter again anyway dwight powell uh, <laughs> dwight powell got hurt last night which is a bummer he was having a really good season for the Mavs. he was really filling that five spot very well and being a nice uh counter to christoph's Porzingis in that front court unfortunately he ruptured his achilles he's out for the foreseeable future sharks you're on the scene there in dallas what does losing him mean for the Mavs going forward this season?
0: Yeah, Powell was a really good fit, like you were saying. So the Mavs basically have been using Chris Stapp's like a stretch, stretch four, and they're running pick and rolls with Powell and Luka. So Powell is one of the best rollmen in the league. He's a great leaper, really smart cutter, great hands, can finish around the rim. So he will definitely be a, a loss in the Mavericks offense. They'll probably move up uh, Maxi Kleba who is really one of the most underrated players in the league. I think so. That shouldn't be a problem, having Maxi in that spot. It's just the guy backing up Kleber now. So do the Mavs need one more big man? I was thinking about it. I wouldn't mind them trading for someone like Willie Cauley-Stein to be that role man in the starting lineup. I think that'll work pretty well.
1: Mm, that's an interesting name. So you don't believe in Boban, even though he neutralized your guy, Montrez Harrell, last night.
0: He did have a great game, but... I think with the system the Mavs run, you're going to have to have a role guy, not a guy who wants to post up in the lane.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good pivot to our, our discussion about the trade deadline. The Mavs are one of those interesting teams where... Are these dummies going to trade for Drummond now? That's the question. I think they're in a weird window where considering the way their contracts are stacked up and considering how good Luka has been, you wonder if this is the year that they should push in. We've had this discussion well, you're about- talking
0: about the Mavs trading for Drummonds? Yeah,
1: I was just asking. That's not going to happen. Because
0: like you can get Kali Steiner for $1 million instead of paying Drummond like $30 million.
1: I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a good stopgap. But I do wonder, should the Mavs, I think in more of a broad sense, make a push? Like, is this the year to make a push considering how good Luka is? And, I mean, Kristaps just came back. Uh, he has had injury issues. But if he stays healthy, this is a team that could, with another piece or two, perhaps compete on the level with the Clippers? I don't know. What do you guys think? John, you would know better than I would.
0: I mean, it's one of those things, like, if by push you mean acquire a wing who can guard Kawhi and get buckets and score, shoot threes, then sure. Like, that big superstar wing is a the piece they need, but I'm not sure they're going to get that piece in the deadline, so it's hard to push all the way in.
1: Yeah, they're also in a weird position where I don't know if they have a lot to really deal with. Obviously, their picks are tied up from the Kristaps and Luca trades. And they have some young prospects but not ones that I think would just like completely bowl over a team for another team star though as we've seen maybe laundry Shamid and Montrezl Harrell is enough to get you a star center in this league. Um <laughs> 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 oh man! All right.
0: On that note, <laughs> <one> more straight <laughs> <this> talk.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, so I do wonder if they're the type of team where it's less about where they are; it's more about just which team is most interested. in perhaps it's Alon Wright in the Jalen Brunson sort of guy. And so, if Andre Iguodala, if the market is low enough, is is now the time to really go and get him and make this the window.
2: I I I think that Andre Iguodala is kind of like the snuffleupagus of this trade deadline like the idea that he is the thing that turns the tides of the championship race is still kind of bizarre to me he was cooked last year is
1: he has he gotten
2: better you know like i'm just saying like it it's strange that that's the wild card because that to me is not a difference maker and it's just like a 50-50 gamble as to whether or not he's healthy in the playoffs he hasn't played competitive basketball and hey, he's
0: managing his load right now
2: He's managing his load. load managing. That's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, like, but I just feel like it feels like that idea of a guy who can guard Kawhi is a unicorn. If you can find that person, like, go for it. And and I I don't know who that is or who would be available or what team would be willing to sell that person. I guess it's Covington, right? Yeah, he's the
1: name that we've talked about recently. Ben Cohen had this report today, I believe, uh, on Wednesday, that pretty much every team in the NBA is interested in Robert Covington. And I think that's something that we've kind of run into in this early scuttlebutt period, our rumor-mongering period, as you might say. Uh, There seems like there's a couple guys who make sense to move. Derrick Rose is one of them. Covington's another one. is another name you hear very often. I don't know if it's ever going to get past that. Like It seems like a lot of teams, the, the big names on the market, the Andre Drummonds, the Kevin Loves, there's just so, something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, they don't. They're not easy plug-and-plays for a title team uh, in order to face some of the, the favorites that have established themselves this season. And so we're kind of left in this weird middle ground. And so I wonder how that warps the market. If everyone wants Robert Covington, is the price for Robert Covington going to be so high that no one actually goes out and gets him?
2: Yeah, and also the teams that are looking to trade for Robert Covington, what do they have? Because a bunch of these teams are in really complicated situations where, for instance, like the Sixers, I think, arguably have the next Robert Covington, if not better on defense in Matisse Thibel. So I wouldn't, he can't be part of any trade. Like they can't do this again where they give up like a prospect that they have under good financial terms for, for Robert Covington. Uh you know, the same thing goes for for Derek Rose. Like, I just think that like a lot of these teams where it's like we have one attractive younger player, some pretty distressed draft picks because we've been trading all of our draft picks mm-hmm. to build the team that we have in the first place. And then like, you know, you're basically going all in on a season that's not like been a complete like success anyway. I think that would be a mistake.
1: Right. So uh, Chris Haynes has this report the other day that the Sixers-Lakers and, in quotes, multiple teams with championship aspirations, so I think that's the entire league, also interested in Derrick Rose. Charks, we didn't mention him last week as a guy uh, the Sixers might be interested in, but actually afterward, like almost like an hour later, we're like, damn, we should have brought up Derrick Rose. You think that he would be a good fit for what they need, no?
0: I think Rose is probably the best pick-and-roll point guard out there in terms of the ability to play off a screen, shoot threes, and then get to the lane and pass the ball. And that's the kind of player they need. I don't know if he shoots quite enough threes, but that skill set, which is hard to find, is the player they need as a shot-creating guard. Same with the Lakers and the Clippers, really. They both need that, like a point guard who can kind of create shots for himself and his teammates.
2: I, don't, I just don't think the Sixers create enough space in the lane for Rose to be that effective on the team. Mm-hmm. On, he's like he's driving. He's driving to the paint. Like we already have enough of a problem getting any everybody else out because of Embiid, Horford, Simmons. You know, it's like right. It's hard to imagine. Like I guess unless they like pretty much reconfigured the the rotation and had like a separate offense that ran with like Simmons screening for Rose. Uh, I don't really understand like what how effective he's going to be. Well, I don't. I haven't really like watched him on defense to be honest in a couple of years. But it seems like also he has like. Reddick potential in terms of being targeted in playoff series where it's just like we're just gonna hunt the hunt the rose matchup. He's playing about 20 minutes a game, right? 25 minutes a game for the Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I don't know. It just doesn't really move the needle for me. I understand why. I understand how he's an upgrade over like Neto and Burke, but the hair on my arm is not standing up over this. Right. And so I wonder if the Lakers, if it makes a little bit more sense there. I don't know who it they would. It seems to make sense to me. Like that also feels like he's like the right median age for that team. Like, it's like, this is the, this are going all in. Right, on the 2008 All-NBA team, right. where it's just Dwight Howard, LeBron, right. and, and
1: Derrick Rose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, it, it does fit what they're doing there. They could also use a creator. Uh, we've talked about Bogdan Bogdanovich there. I don't know. It seems like the Lakers, I'm a little bit more scared of the Lakers if they get a guy like Rose in there. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like they just need like one or two other guys on the fringes in order to get by in the regular season. And if they get Rose and Rose continues to play at his pace, which has been very good of late since Blake Griffin has been down, whether or not that's a result of him just getting the possessions that would normally go to Blake Griffin uh, remains to be seen. But I think he's the type of guy that all of a sudden that is probably all they need to kind of prevent a bit of a swoon before they go into the playoffs. And in the playoffs, you'd expect them to be a little bit more uh, liberal with their lineups, have Anthony Davis more at the five, uh, which we talked about before. The one guy I want to talk about, though, is not a guy on the trade market right now, but a guy who could be very soon and could be the name that we're talking about for the next couple of months, and that's Bradley Beal. So the Athletic had a story the other day, the Athletics' Fred Katz, basically detailing Beal being pretty frustrated with the recent result uh, against the Chicago Bulls. Believe it or not, the Wizards aren't doing well, even though that Beal agreed to sign an extension before this season and come back for at least another season. Uh, the gist of it was he just didn't think like the culture was right. He didn't think there was a winning attitude. A lot of nebulous comments about basically this team isn't like what he expects them to be. And then David Aldridge had a follow-up report where, and this is a quote, uh, he says a source who was there also told me Thursday that Beal was as angry with and emotional about his team as he's ever been since being drafted by the Wizards in 2012. Now, Beal can't be traded before this deadline because of the extension he signed. My question for you guys, and, and Charks, I, I think uh, we'll start with you. Would you expect a contender? So we're talking about, let's say, the Nuggets. Let's talk about the Celtics. If you're one of them and there aren't a lot of big names on, on kind of the market right now, would you prefer to save your powder for this summer, stay out of the trade deadline mix, and wait for a deal? I mean, I
0: think to give up the kind of players you'd have to give up for Bradley Beal, yeah, there's no one like that available right now. So, right, if you're the Nuggets and you have to trade Jamal Murray and Michael Porter or something, you're not going to do that for any of the players available. And it does seem like Beal is the next to waiting to be dropped. It's like that for a while now. He had this weird extension, but it's the same problem he had before. They don't win enough games. It kind of reminds me of an Orlando when Dwight opted in. Right. And then like two months later, he was like, wait, this team isn't very good. I want out of here.
2: Like that right. problem hasn't changed for Beal. This just feels like a come and get me signed for summer, mm. and I think that this summer will be the summer of, rather than an interesting free agency, with the exception of like I guess if Davis pulls like one of the most surprising free agency decisions of all time and doesn't resign with the Lakers, I think that this summer is going to be the summer of prying guys like Beal and McCollum loose, breaking up teams that are like moderately successful or have been moderately successful or. Are, Trying to figure it out. I mean, when Wall and Beal are playing, this the Wizards were pretty usually like a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this will be this summer of, of trading those guys of, of trying to pry those guys out of their their situations. And I think Beal probably is just pissed off because the Wizards are bad and they've been bad for a while, and he's been like carrying a lot of the load. Maybe something internally has shifted. You know, among from their like, wow, they have like really a weirdly intoxicating (laughs) offense for a team that's so fucking bad. Right. But I think what he's saying almost, and obviously he doesn't need to make this statement in public. He doesn't need to make the statement in the locker room. His agents can take care of this is exactly what you're saying. Keep your powder dry for the summer. Don't do anything to just get incrementally better with Robert Covington when you can trade for me in the summer.
1: Yeah. And so I wonder, what are those teams currently looking for some help that could probably use a next step Uh, or can package some of their younger guys together in order to kind of become more of a super team or whatever we're saying is a super team these days. Uh, The team I'm looking at is Miami. I feel like we're waiting for them just to do something. Just considering the wealth of young guys, young, interesting guys that they put together, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, uh, Justice Winslow, if you want to throw him in there. It seems like they have a move in there, and it seems like they want to play at that level. Mm -hmm. But considering the way that their contracts are stacked even going into next season, it seems like it seems like it's going to have to come via trade if they want to get better within the next one to two years, which feels like the time to strike with Jimmy Butler playing this well. And it doesn't feel like the guy that guy is going to materialize at the deadline. Like I think Drew Holiday makes a lot of sense for that team. And if the Pelicans kind of nosedive here in the media, I think I would want to see him end up in Miami because him and Jimmy Butler on the wings as defenders would just be incredible, uh-huh. and especially with Bam in there. That'd be one of the more fun defenses like we've seen in a while. But if he doesn't, I think Beal makes a lot of sense as the next guy there. And while they don't have the draft picks in order to kind of wet the the Wizards' whistles, I do wonder if they can get in the mix with some of those young guys in order to, to perhaps get in the Who Beale does have the draft picks? I think Denver still has their draft picks. Mm-hmm. I think the one team that's really interesting is the Celtics, because for a while, we've just been talking about their war chest of assets, but all of a sudden, their
2: best assets are now their team. Can I throw a name out there? Sure. A, t- a team out there for sure. Beal? Thunder. Okay. Yeah. Reunion with Billy Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> Tons of draft capital. I don't think you give up SGA in that deal, but you basically replaced Schroeder with Beal.
1: Hmm. I like it. Charks, what do you think?
0: Yeah, we talked about this last week. I think OKC, okay, they don't need to be a seller anymore. They've got a really good team, and they've got a young franchise player in SGA. They can win now, and they have, like we talked about, they have all the draft picks, right? If OKC wants someone, they should be able to get them because they can beat any offer easily. I think they have like 10 draft picks coming up. A lot of them run protected. You can give the Wizards the Nets deal and have a great team with two, two or three star guards. That seems to me like you should go for it right now.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. The, the Thunder are such a weird team now because they're so good right now and what they have worked. And you could just keep going forward. You could re-sign Danilo Gallinari, uh, let Chris Paul kind of continue to play this, like, buddy cop to SGA and just have a fun team to keep fans engaged. And yet, all the future assets that are coming, what, like five years down the road or whenever the Clippers kind of convey those picks, it's almost like they have the next wave set up. And so you really have to strike a balance between do you want to maximize what they have now versus what they could be in the future. It kind of circles back to the discussion we were having earlier, where it's just like, when is the moment? And I I would really love to see Beal end up there, especially considering the biggest what if for the Thunder is what if Harden got traded for Mm -hmm. Beal, no? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're OKC, (laughs) OKC, it's two things, right? One, you have 10 draft picks. So you can do both. Mm -hmm. You can trade a bunch now and still have the assets in the future. And number two... You're not a freight destination, right? OKC knows they're never going to sign a big star. They've got to trade for him. So,
2: trade for him.
1: Yeah, and as we found out this week, Chris Paul doesn't intend to give back any money right. in order to facilitate. I just think it makes. I mean, team. like
2: I, if I'm watching it, I'm not trying to trade Beal to Orlando or Miami or you know, I don't want to see Beal four times a year.
1: Yeah, and he is under contract for a little while now, yeah. so, so that extension, uh, it puts him under contract through the 2021-22 season, and then he has a player option. So anybody that did trade for him would have him under control. So a team like the Thunder, that would make the most sense because yeah, you're not having to worry about a Paul George And situation. it's like,
2: it's, it's, the, it's a perfect Thunder situation too because there's optionality there. If Chris Paul's body breaks down next season or SGA regresses or blows his knee out and you're just like, crap, it all fell apart here. Like you can reroute Beal. Again, you know what I mean? And start over again. Mm-hmm. You don't have to suffer like where it's just like we're as good as Chris Paul is, is basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's an interesting thing to, to keep an eye on as we veer toward the deadline, which is February 6th. Uh, we will, I'm sure, be talking about rumors and Scuttlebutt and all this other stuff going forward uh, over the next couple of weeks. We will be back next week, perhaps talk about that and more. But until then, for Chris, for Sharks, for Isaac, I'm Justin. We'll see you next time.
0: Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.